Good morning, Fellowship Bible Church. How great is our God? How great is our God? Good morning uh, to those at Fellowship 3 and those watching online. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, it's good to see everybody and more and more as we gather together, more and more faces. Uh, I really miss seeing all of you, so it's great to be back. This is the, the second week in a two-part series. We wanted to uh, take some time out of uh, our progression through the book of Romans to do a two-week series on the Old Testament, particularly the law and how it relates to the book of Romans as we've been going through it. And so last week, we set aside time to look at the big picture purpose of the law um, and how that relates to the fulfillment of that through the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And, and so we looked at the purpose of the law being this thing that God had given Israel to define for them how they were to live their daily lives in this new land to become that kingdom of priests. As Exodus chapter 19 verses 5 and 6 said, it says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Um, and so God had given this to them, but as we looked at last week, there was a, there was a, uh, a problem. God knew it from the very beginning that um, the heart of man was far from him. The heart of man was, uh, was, was dead. They were spiritually dead, and they would be unable to because there was no empowerment to actually keep the law. The law was spoken as a commandment. This is my standard. This is how you are to be this kingdom of priests. But there was no empowerment to come with it. And so last week we looked at how on the day of Pentecost, which looked back at the giving of the law, God gives now this new covenant, this given of the Holy Spirit that changes the heart of man, that puts the heart of flesh and God's very presence in man to fulfill what God had desired to have his kingdom of priests um, here uh, representing him, proclaiming his excellencies. And so this week, I want to look at, uh, and once again, we can only look at it in a big picture sense. I want to I give us a, a framework to understand the Old Testament when we do study it, um, I want to look at the content of the law. Last week was the purpose, this week is the content of the law. And I'll tell you right out of the gate where we're going with this. I want us to see the connection that the content of the law was always to be love. That love was the content of the law. And that now becomes the content of what the Holy Spirit is fulfilling in us as the church. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Um, so I want to start off looking in the book of Matthew. How Jesus... As, uh, defines this Old Testament law. What does he say about it? And, and there's a number of places that says this, but we want to look in, I just want to focus on Matthew. Um, at, at the beginning of a teaching that Jesus is giving there in Matthew chapter 5, he makes this statement in verse 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, Jesus makes this statement, I have not come to abolish the law and prophets, I've come to fulfill them. Now, later on, Jesus starts to explain what he means by the law and prophets. What is it about the law and prophets? How does Jesus view, what is the content of the law and the prophets that Jesus came to fulfill? 
Later, at the, towards the end of this section of teaching Jesus gives, in chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus says this, and we're familiar with this, this, this golden rule Jesus gives. He says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to, to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So here Jesus say, if you ask Jesus, what is that law and prophets that you just told us that you came to fulfill? What is this law and prophets? How, what do you mean by that? Jesus says, here's the law and the prophets. Do unto the others as you would have them do unto you. Now, later in the book of Matthew, Jesus is being tested by um, some Pharisees. And in chapter 22, verse 36 starts off and it says this, Teacher, and this is somebody coming to Jesus and speaking to him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So when we think of the Old Testament, when we think of the law and prophets, there should be a golden thread. What Jesus is teaching us is the, there's a golden thread that connects all of the law and prophets. If we're properly interpreting and understanding the law and prophets, what should come to the surface is the law and prophets is all about love. It is the very love of God demonstrated and displayed, and the, and the commandment was always pointing towards a people that would be marked by love for God and love for others. And so if we rewind in our minds back to chapter 5 where Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish that, I came to fulfill the law and prophets. Now, Sometimes when we read that, we picture Jesus meaning that he was going to do external actions of every jot and tittle of the Old Testament law. He washed his hands every time he's supposed to wash his hands. He, he uh, purified himself every time he's purified. Um, we think of it in this legalistic sort of way, and certainly Jesus fulfilled all those kinds of requirements, but that I don't think is what he means because he defines here in Matthew what he means by the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus becomes the embodiment of love. He becomes the embodiment of God's presence in this world, God's very love in the flesh. He fulfills the actual content of what the law was always meant to be. Jesus fulfilled it, not just in the actions of the external, thinking of it legalistically, but in the heart and the soul of what the law was meant to be. And remember, last week we looked at, it was always about revealing this Old Testament law um, couldn't produce this heart change in the heart of man. It revealed the brokenness of man. And Jesus comes and showed, this is the heart of the Old Testament law and the prophets, everything that God's been about. And so when we go review, and if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 20, I just want to quickly go through this. Um, and we're going to start just by looking at the Ten Commandments as an example. Um, and we'll go through this quickly. But the Ten Commandments can be summarized by love. The first four of those commandments is love for God. The, se the next six are all love for others. But it's love in, this, in the commandment sense of this is what love should look like in these specific external actions, things you shouldn't do type of things. And so God gives this to man. And I, let me just refresh your memory if you don't have them uh, memorized. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. 
Um, then the next commandment, verse 4 through 6, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God and am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The third commandment in verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And the fourth commandment in verse 8 through 11, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work in it. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, your livestock, the traveler within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, these first four commands gave specific commands of actions of what it looks like in an external sense to have a heart that loves the Lord. Right, A heart that loves the Lord holds him in his proper honor, his proper respect, and glorifies his name. Doesn't put anything else ahead of him or in front of him or give our worship and devotion to anything else. We rest in his provision for us, in his creation, and all that he has given that is good. We love God. The next six commandments, loving others. Honor your father and mother that their days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male servant, female servant, or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. See, when we, when we love others, we make them in a heart that loves others. We make them more important than ourselves. And, and so God gives these specific external commands of here's what it looks like or here's what it doesn't look like. If I love you, I don't murder you. I don't steal from you. I don't covet the things that you have and want them for myself. God describes in these commandments what love for others looks like. You know, and, this, and, and God knows from the very beginning that this is going to reveal a spiritual death that is in the heart of man. And it has been true from the very beginning, from the fall. You know, the first time the word sin is actually used in, in the Scripture isn't in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 describes the death of man that occurs. And the outworking of that death is started to be shown in chapter 4 when Cain murders Abel. Right? That is the outworking now of this death. It is a heart that hates. A heart that is willing to kill you for my own anger, for my own uh, jealousy, for my own uh, whatever reason. I am now willing to, to do these things marked by hate. And then when we really understand sin, that's what we can see at the heart of all sin. See, the law doesn't just tell me, oh, you lied and you weren't supposed to lie. See, this is what it means in the New Testament when it says you broke one, you've broken them all. Because when I lie, what that reveals is a cold stone dead heart that hates. And, and so that's why I've broken the whole law, because the whole law is marked by love. And so the, the external commandments reveal a heart that it is hateful that makes myself more important than others, and that reveals the deadness of my soul apart from God. See, this was the problem with the Pharisees had. You know, in in Jesus' confrontations with the Pharisees, and there's lots of examples of this, I just want to share for you the one out of Luke chapter 6 for a moment. 
Luke chapter 6, here's an account of the Pharisees. As I read this, I want you to look for, are the Pharisees loving one another, loving those that they're supposed to minister to, and being a fulfillment of the law, or are they doing the very opposite? Luke chapter 6, verse 6 says this, On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at all of them, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Do you see the very law being used as a mechanism to hate somebody? They had taken the very commandment of God and used it as a way to judge, to destroy, to bring death. The law of God that was meant to be love, always. And so Jesus' criticism of the Pharisees because they had corrupted the very uh, nature of the law. They had not interpreted it correctly, and they certainly weren't applying it correctly. They used it as a way to try to judge Jesus, and they certainly had no care or concern for this man that had just been healed. This man with a withered hand had just been healed. There should have been a celebration for this man. They should have thrown a party for this man. There should have been embracing going on. Instead, they respond with anger and hatred. See, the law was being, was being corrupted from the deadness of our souls. We do this. We do this as sinners. We use rules to, to justify ourselves, to make ourselves holier than thou, to make it all about me, and that reveals a deadness, a heart that is uh, cold because it doesn't have the love of God. That's what happens to us uh, as unbelievers. That is the position that we find ourselves. That is why we are dead. So what does God do? How does now, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit fulfilling the purpose that the law was always about to create this kingdom of priests, to be this daily sustenance for life. What is the, and I called it in your notes, the secret ingredient? What is it that, that you know, uh, actually happens when God pours His Holy Spirit into your life? What is the key ingredient there? What is that empowerment that happens? We'll look in Romans and a few other passages. We all know that the fruit of the Spirit is love. See, there is something now that is going to change. There is something that Jesus is going to complete, fulfill, not just by His actions, but in a people because of His finished work on the cross and His pouring out of the Holy Spirit and His resurrection. He is now fulfilling, creating these people that have a heart marked by love as the Holy Spirit comes into their lives. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says this. Here's what the Holy Spirit does in your life, in my life. Here's, it's not a mystical thing. We can understand it. Here's what the Holy Spirit is doing. It says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love is poured into our hearts. See, the very 
love of God. The moment you put your faith in Christ, the very love of God is poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit taking presence in you. And, and this is love in two senses. It's love in a sense that we now have God's love for us in our very person. That is what brings us the life. That is what gives us this heart of flesh, no longer of heart of stone. We now have the love of God present in our heart. And it's also, uh, in a second sense, it is the love of God now being poured out in our hearts that we are now able to flow out and to love others. There is now an empowerment for us with this new heart to be able to love others. Because we know 1 John tells us that God is love. So it makes sense when he takes up his residence in our lives that it is love that is being poured out into us. It is love that is the encapturing beauty, the great and mighty thing that God is doing. Quickly, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. This is the chapter that starts off, by the way, with Jesus saying, I am the true vine, you are the branches. What does Jesus mean by the true vine? Well, Israel was always called the vine of God. They were supposed to be God's vineyard that produced this fruit and that God would uh, use to bless and to uh, create his wine from. But they, 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 they never fulfilled it. They pr produced bloodshed instead of righteousness and justice. Now Jesus comes and says, I am the true vine. I will accomplish the fruit of God by you, disciples, abiding in me. And he goes on, so he starts off those first eight verses and tells us how important it is for us as Christians to abide in Christ. And then starting in verse 9, he starts to describe for us what it means to abide in Christ. And listen to how Jesus says it. Starting in verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. How do we abide in Christ? We abide in His love. It is His great love for us that we, that we look at, that we, uh, that we uh, exalt in, that we glorify, that we uh, thank Him for, the, the gratitude of our hearts, because He has loved us. Jesus' love has been poured out for us. And so we, we, uh, we are enamored, we are captured, we are brought to life by the love of Jesus for us. So if we want to abide in Him, we abide in His love. And then that love that we are abiding in, He goes on to say, You abide in My love just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that My joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. This is My commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So now if we're a branch in this vine, the vine is Jesus pouring his love into us. And we, that is our life-giving sustenance. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, the love of God for us. And then we can now produce that fruit. We can love others because we are given the love of the creator of the universe. We have the power now. We have been made new to love others more than ourselves because we are connected to this vine. And that is the abiding in, in, in Christ that happens. See, God loves us so much. I, if we could spend the whole sermon just on how much the love of God is for us, 
That is what will bring us to our knees before this incredible, beautiful God. See, for God loved us so much. See, we don't have to, you know, sometimes, and if you are not a believer here tonight, or even if us as believers, often the attack on us is that you are unlovable. You are, you are separated from God. You deserve death. You deserve to be separated from God. You are an enemy of God, and those are true. You are an enemy of God. We were an enemy of God. But that's what makes God's love for us so grand and so glorious because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were his enemies, Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for us. That kind of love is mind-blowing. I mean, when we look in the world, we recognize love when, you know, when a teacher lays down her life for the students. or We recognize that love for people that deserve it. We don't recognize the kind of love that lays down their life for their enemy. But that is precisely Christ's love for us. It's, it's glorious. And so we abide in that love. And that love is now allowed to flow through us to love others around us. And so we love even our enemies because we have the love of Christ poured out in us. We have been given a new heart. We have been empowered to do this. Not because the external laws tells us this is how we have to act to look like we love. But no, we have a heart change now that says, you know what? The creator of the universe loved me and has my back. I'm taken care of. I'm now free. What am I going to do with my freedom? You know what? There are people around me that need lifted up. There are, there are people around me that need to know the love of God. There are people around me that need uh, justice. There are people around me that need provided for. There are people around me that I can now pour my life onto, not because I need any kind of righteousness. The reason I can love like that is because my righteousness has been taken care of. I've been liberated now to love. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to camp here in this passage a little bit in Ephesians chapter 4. See, um, Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians in many ways is parallel to a lot of the truths we've been learning in the book of Romans. Um, and in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 22, Paul is going to use language that should be familiar uh, to you from what uh, Pastor Mark has been taking us through in Romans. He starts off in verse 22 telling us to put off our old self. Remember, our old self has been identified now with the burial of Jesus Christ. The old self now doesn't have to control us. It is the old leaven that has been left behind. So Paul is reminding us of this truth, telling us to put off the old self which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And verse 24, to put on the new self. This new self, its identity is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit. That is the new self now that I am putting on. That's my daily sustenance for living. Verse 25 says, therefore, now listen to how Paul applies this. He says, now therefore, having put away falsehood, now just pause there for a second. He's basically reciting uh, one of the Ten Commandments. Don't lie. Therefore, don't lie. Now, if you just pause there, it would sound like Paul is putting us back under the law, right? Don't do this external action. 
But he doesn't stop here. He's going to demonstrate for us the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the power of a new heart, and how it can help us as believers to overcome sin, to have power over sin, to not let sin dominate us. Because that law of don't lie has no power to do that. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to demonstrate here is the power now to overcome. Here is the power to overcome sin in our own lives and to be that kingdom of priests. He says, therefore, I've been putting away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor because we are members one of another. So now when I, when I look out at my brothers and sisters here in the audience, I don't have to think about, I'm not under the law that says don't lie to you. And so, man, I, I just got, if I struggle with, let's say I struggle with lying and exaggerating and kind of puffing myself up, and the law tells me don't do that, and I do that, and it reveals that I'm broken and I need a, a Savior. Paul's saying, no, don't live that way. Forget about that don't lie commandment because there's no power there. Instead, learn to love others more than yourself. Because if I'm loving you and making you more important than me, then, I, then the truth is what matters. And speaking the truth in love now is what matters. And I can grow in that because I have a heart of flesh that is in a personal relationship with the creator of the universe whose love is being poured out into me. And so I can love you. And as I love you and I grow in learning to make you more important to me, I don't need the law that tells me do not lie. It's not simply about not lying. It's about making you more important than me because we're members one of another. He goes on to say, Be angry, do not sin. Do not let your sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity for the devil. Verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal. Once again, another example. Don't steal, right? That's the Old Testament law. But that has no power. Here's where the power comes from. He goes on to say, don't steal. Um, Lost my place here. Let him no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Boy, that's flipping the law on its head, right? Do I just sit there and say, well, I I can't steal. Do not steal. Do not steal. Do not steal. That's, I got to do that. Well, uh, you know, I want that. So I take it. Now I, I broke the law. No, there's no power there. Here's where the power is. If I love you and I see a brother in need, I work harder so that I can provide for the brother in need. And in that, I am being reprogrammed into this new creation. I am putting on the new self that doesn't have to worry about being condemned because do not steal, but instead is is empowered to learn how to love you so much that I'm going to work harder so that I can provide for you. That's the power. That is what God is doing in our lives. And he goes on to say, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, 
right? If we ever doubt or question the love of God for us and what it looks like to love, we, that is why it's so important for us to keep the cross of Jesus Christ ever before us. Because in that we see the incredible demonstration that his love wasn't just a feeling for us, but he, he sought to actively do good on our behalves. And so we keep the cross of Christ and we see that active love for us. And that love now is being poured out in our hearts and we learn to walk in that love, making you more important than me. And I'm putting off that old self that only cared about my glorification, my benefit, my good. And I see that my good has been provided for by the creator of the universe and I am liberated now. And I am liberated now to care more about you, to love you. And Jesus in John 13 says, and it's by this that the world will know you are my disciples, by your love for one another. And so the content of the law, which was always meant to be love, is now being fulfilled by a walk in the Spirit. It is now becoming the demonstration of what the law and prophets always was meant to be, but didn't have the empowerment. Jesus now fulfills both personally in himself, but in his people, in this vineyard now of, of God where people are learning and growing in their love for one another, becoming this kingdom of priests, this shining light on a hill that is showing the world what the character of God looks like. In Christ alone this happens. And so we trust him. We learn and grow in, his, in understanding God and who he is and his love for us. And we learn what it means to walk in the newness of this creation, in the newness of this spirit that we've been given, learning to love others. Now, all sin is breaking the law. And we normally typically think of that sin as, well, I lied and I wasn't supposed to lie. I would like to renew our minds today and say, you know what? All sin is, is breaking the law of love. You know, that do not lie is just a specific example of what it means not to love. Um, so, we have opportunity as the church. We are the, the family. You know, we have been adopted and brought together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we can look around this room and say, what would Fellowship Bible Church look like if we were growing in making each other more important than ourselves? Growing in how I want to provide for you. Growing in how I want to learn how to forgive you, to get along with you, to use words that build you up. This is our call to be the church. As, as Fellowship Bible Church Shenandoah, as you get started down there, this is your call to be that light in that community, to be a people that come together in the name of an excellent, amazing, awesome God who loves us and be a demonstration and a light of that God's love to that community with a gospel message that communicates how much this God has loved you how much he is desirous of being in this relationship with you, willing to reestablish and, and reconcile the differences, the brokenness that we have to be in this relationship with him. And so as we get back into Romans, we're going to see in Romans 8, uh, 4, he's going to talk about that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
And we're going to see that in Romans chapter 13 where, where Paul says, owe no one anything except to love each other for those who uh, love one another has fulfilled the law. Here's the, here's the great irony of how God does this. We're no longer under the law. We've been made new. I'm now free to love you more than myself. And the great irony is, as I learn to do that, I'm fulfilling the very law I was never, I'm not under anymore. That's the beauty of what God is doing. That's the incredible power of his love being poured out for us, that he loves us that much. His love for us is that grand and that glorious. And so in, in, in application, what does that look like in our lives? There's lots of ways we could go with this. How do we become a demonstration of the love of God as we live our lives in the world? What does it look like for you to love your neighbor more than yourself? What does it look like for you to work so that you could provide for someone else and not just provide that shinier, more beautiful thing that you maybe want for yourself? What does it look like to forgive somebody that maybe doesn't deserve it? What does it look like when, there, that when maybe, let's say, a contentious issue arises in the church. You know, we're going to be doing the women's role in the, in the uh, seminar this Saturday. That can be a contentious issue. How does a body of believers who are loving one another and holding each other up and desiring unity of the church to be the uh, most important thing to us in our hearts, how do we handle a, a possibly contentious issue? How do we come together as brothers and sisters in love? So with that, I want to close in prayer as, we, uh, as the worship team comes up. And my prayer is going to be right out of Ephesians chapter 3. Listen to this prayer of Paul. This is my prayer. I hope this is our prayer for Fellowship Bible Church. This is our prayer for the Shenandoah County plant uh, that's going to be happening. Ephesians 3. Here's our prayer. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.